so we talk about writing uh, ghost writing uh, article writing novella fiction biographies etc what i think it truly means would always boil down to the content right because at the end of the day we might take uh, different approaches different angles or even different uh, focal points as to how we want to begin developing content are we going to get creative with our content are we going to churn out a fictional book are we going to write a technical white paper a brochure at the core of all of these different formats is always the content because the content will direct the will actually dictate the direction that or rather showcase that would be a more accurate word showcase what we're trying to say in the most accurate precise and concise method so if we are now to just look at the core which is content it further delves deeper into the format of the content right so while yes each individual possesses his own unique style as to how they write content certain things remain constant forever and the first one will always be grammar the second one will always be syntax and the third remains style style is a rather broad concept because as as a writer or the fellow writers listening to this as well i'm sure you're confident enough to say that you have your own style and nobody could mimic your own style despite what the ai enthusiasts say which are gpt each individual has their own cognitive thinking capabilities that makes his own writing style unique there are obviously a lot of books out there available in the market like uh, william strong's uh, elements of style that i've mentioned also earlier these books can definitely help you but at the end of the day it it almost mimics a soul searching experience as to how you find that particular style of content and the format you decide to rely on and the basic rules of grammar and syntax and all of this when you marry it together or rather it comes together synchronously you get the desired output and i think that is always going to be what writing means to me if collecting your thoughts may seem difficult and for some others it might seem like a walk in the park but at the end of the day honing the soft skill of how you develop the content will pave the way towards success as a writer and i think that has something that ha- i think that uh, ideology has helped me grow as a writer today so yeah Hey everyone. Welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. I'm your host Sangeeta, aka The Moody Marshmallow. You just heard our guest for today, Nikhil Menon. Nikhil is a professional content developer specializing in future technology. He has written about blockchain, fintech, big data, applied robotics, AI and much more. He has also written a screenplay for a Malayalam movie in 2016 and has also been a ghostwriter. Tune in to hear about Nikhil's writing journey and how he found a niche for himself in content development. Hi everyone, welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. This week I have with me Nikhil Menon. Hi Nikhil, welcome to the show. Greetings. 
wow so uh, <laughs> informal formal i don't even know what to say that also context to listeners nikhil and i have known each other since we were like 5 or 6 so yes. uh like it has been giving me nightmares since i was 7 till 15 <laughs> oh uh, yeah so sure. i think uh, so yeah you can expect uh, i guess some banter <laughs> or some really stupid uh, answers from nikhil on uh, on the show just because he's talking to me but okay audible serious note um the first thing i want to ask you is what is your earliest memory of being creative and when did you start writing oh actually that's a very good question because i think it goes back to the past and a past that actually we all shared which was back in lady andal right and uh, i think i don't know whether you knew but my favorite teacher in school was only this one lady this gem of a person her name was janet roy yeah and uh, janet was janet roy ma'am was always very encouraging and uh, i i would call myself a scattered writer back in the day where there was an inclination to be creative with words but there's obviously no direction right when you're looking at a young age third grade fourth grade so you're like 9 8 7 8 9 around those yeah. ages so i think she was encouraging because when i used to write my trash that i did back <laughs> when i was 6 and 7 she was the one who actually sat down with my dad and said you know uh nikhil definitely has a passion but it's just a matter of like sandpapering and molding it so either you encourage him or you ask him to drop it all together because somebody can go really awry with this so think about it that's when my dad started introducing me to books like read if you like to write read first see how the greats did it see how they wrestled with their own thoughts and put it down, put pen like words into paper and then go for it and that's when we all got enrolled into that uh cambridge first lo- that young learners oh yeah oh yeah i remember uh, but i actually took that seriously while most didn't Same. most just sticking around in the campus after like 2:30 but i was like no i'm going to learn something here especially let's start with the foundation which is grammar right most yeah. people tend to ignore it and if you're i'm sure you're on linkedin right you're very active on linkedin i see that as well you see this it's it's just flooded with pseudo motivational stuff running around where pe- nowadays writers are being encouraged to not know the language thoroughly and just write write for yeah. the sake of it yeah that's good write for the sake of it write a letter to your loved one write a letter to a parent it's fine be creative but when we start moving into the professional world things start getting rigid and that's obviously uh, what we'll obviously we'll dive into that a little bit later but i think my earliest memory was just being nonsensical with my writing mm. but with the right direction and of course study and when you say study reading the greats how they wrote i think over time we hone that skill but i think it really kicked off only after engineering because the suffering of btech <laughs> really pushed me to do something with that slight skill set that i had somewhere lurking in the background yeah no but so do you remember like the first thing you ever wrote or at least the first thing you were at least like wow i wrote this even if you were like 5 or 6 or whatever oh okay um yeah i'll tell you what i did. so uh, this is where it gets a little dicey so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I actually wrote like a, a short story but I think I was in the 4th grade because oh, okay. I I don't know it it was just something very personal it was so like rudimentary it was ballpoint pen on paper and I wrote it on these couple of sheets tore it off from a book and I actually stapled it to look like a book oh, and wow. I gave it to my dad and uh, my dad said wow this is a great story you like horror I'm like yes because the first few books I was introduced to was from the legendary Stephen King right the first okay. book The first book I ever read was Pet Cemetery, and okay. I, I and trust me, if I if I ever become a dad, I'll never introduce my child to Pet Cemetery because that book is scarring. Okay, from the get go, <laughs> yeah. But I liked horror, and I wrote this really vampirish kind of like a story, 
and my dad said two things one this is a great story number two i know exactly where you lifted the story from your plagiarism <laughs> <Okay. laughs> because i gave you that book nikhil <laughs> you know, so. it's creative freedom yeah like, there's a difference between creative freedom and then highway robbery i think you should yeah. learn that. <laughs> but so yeah so that, that's why i said dicey but i think that's the point where you learn right if you mm. want to write something be original right so i think that was the first thing i wrote and from there onwards it was either i had something new to say or mm. i just didn't write and i think it's interesting because i think from the ages of uh, 14 onwards i completely lost touch with writing and i only then picked it up when i started when i went into the workforce oh okay yeah because once you know what happens to us right when we get thrown into the abyss of like biomath science groups in 11th and 12th <laughs> i was in <laughs> commerce so you know i should have just done that i should have just swallowed my pride and ego you know i think we come from that lost generation that was still stuck in our parents time like no science science okay you will only do science you're doing commerce what you don't know how to read so <laughs> <laughs> so and now when i told my mom i i keep telling my mom if i just done commerce and just done a ba honors and then maybe done an ma honors in english maybe who knows maybe i'd be a much more like successful writer but then that is subject to like an extrapolated view and we'll get to that also later yeah but no yeah. but no but that's the thing it's it's really interesting cuz you went and did engineering and essentially now what you are doing with your job is you're doing technical writing because you are writing about technology and data and ai and all these things and blockchain and what not so okay. it kind of ties wanna, in right i want to cut you that i wouldn't don't i don't actually club it into technical writing because that's something i learned after joining the workforce there okay. is a parallel vertical in an organization called technical writing which okay. is a pure documentation standpoint oh right? okay so yeah so i i call myself a product marketing content writer but okay. for technical ideologies or technical content like that okay so, yeah. so that i'm not technical writer because i don't want people who's thinking i'm doing other documentation somewhere in the background <laughs> no, no, no. i'm sorry nikhil has clarified this guys so please don't take my word seriously here Oh, well, but reality check for me as well, right? Where I'm just showing you the boat that I jumped on recently, right? Get on this boat, Sankita. This is the real definition, right? <laughs> yeah. No, this is why. See, this is why we have these conversations. Very educational and very enlightening. Uh, but no, honestly. Um, then how did you kind of you know sort of pivot to this? Because I mean, you know, how did you take that call after engineering? That okay, this is kind of what I want to try doing, or you know, go into. Yeah, I think I think one the minute you said engineering, it kind of speaks volumes and speaks for itself at that point, right? And you know, especially a person like me who ventured into the field of engineering, not knowing exactly what we were going to bite off, and clearly we bit off more than we could chew because engineering was not going to be something you can just skirt through for four and a half or years or four years. Yeah. And if that is your attitude, you're just going to struggle and suffer with the course. Like, I know friends who personally love engineering, right? And they're really successful engineers working in Paris and Netherlands and all of that, right? So yeah. those guys actually venture into the field thinking about it carefully. I ventured into thinking it was like a quick stop way to become successful in life, only to realize success was never guaranteed anytime. Nothing is guaranteed in life, to be actually fair. So uh, after engineering, I realized this is something I cannot pursue. Forget wanting to pursue, I cannot because I don't think I'm going to be very good at it because mm. I struggle with. And plus, I, my foundation was automobile engineering. And I wasn't really passionate about cars, right? Even when <laughs> I bought my, even when I bought my new car recently, my question to the guy was. Does it have four doors and does the windows work automatically? You know, yeah, I think it's a good buy. You know, right? Does it go fast? Yes, sir, very fast. Oh, I'm so happy. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah. So you want to know about the BHP? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Okay. Oh my god. 
but yeah so after that so i i i did use the like what people now talk about in the media the nepotism bug having a dad who is in the industry still on like what now mm-hmm. 40 years he's completed in the industry so and he's still acting right so he still has that name he still has that pull and uh, of course i would say uh using that umbrella of protection that comes with the father in the industry i got that chance and yes i i have to be fair yes i probably wouldn't get my break faster than most people do because most writers especially the successful ones out there know that you really never taste success as a screenplay writer in malayalam for at least 6 to 7 years and here in 8 months i got that project right yeah so i yeah uh, you so, did a film in 2016 i know which is insane so wait is this the precursor to your career now uh yeah because that was the first jump right where i thought okay i'm going to write a screenplay but most people actually put the time they actually go to college and learn how to yeah. write a screenplay and churn it out but my dad was very clear he's like we are all you're all going to be the children of the internet there's just so much you can learn online right now take a course or like you know go and he that time he knew about those companies that had started out like coursera udemy mm-hmm. go there must be a script writing course somewhere just go learn it put in 6 months if it costs money here's my card go buy it and then i realized if we have the basic skill set to at least imbibe knowledge from written context why can't i do the same so i went right. and downloaded the three like biggest screenplays very complex sufferable screenplays the first one was the godfather francis ford coppola's okay, okay. james cameron's titanic okay, okay. because of that that that's a, that's a landmark movie right it's a very yeah. simple story and he to, he told it so magnificently so that's obviously some screenplay magic which was a good reference point and uh, to be really imaginative i actually went and downloaded guy ritchie's uh, rock and roller which okay. is also one of my, one of my favorite films okay and that's that was one of the biggest sleeper hits in england at that time and again landmark film like that 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 changes the course of film all these three films have changed the trajectory of how films were made after a point So I downloaded these three screenplays and let me tell you James Cameron his Titanic that it just took me a month to read that right oh, because okay. it was so exhaustive that when I was reading it I actually started getting cold feet okay okay and my dad actually had given me the offer saying you've written a story that's acceptable we have got producers now should we just like should we do you want to swallow your pride should we contract a screenplay writer who seasoned mm. and can do it I said I can I'll do it in English of course we have to get a translator to of translate course, yeah. yeah but I'm going to do this I'm going to try give me some time he's like time is scarce time is money in the industry I can give you 3 months go for it so in that 3 months I lost a month just reading uh, Titanic and then wow. when time was winding down I started running through it and I when I felt I got the grip I started writing my screenplay and I think in 21 days I churned it out oh wow okay and, it was i'll be honest that was that was nonsense okay <laughs> that's that's not how you write a screenplay my i could see that glint of disappointment in my dad's eyes but he's like you still have another month try again and this time with a clearer head without without get every writer at some point did struggle with this which is they get ahead of themselves when they're yeah. the writing process you know uh, another i can see another suffer 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 tortured <laughs> writer yeah we all go through this yeah so having been there and then finally we churned that story on the screenplay got passed and um, we made this film and I, of course i would say that i did have like maybe a selfish angle to the film where uh, i wanted to write something that was a little artsy a very artistic attempt at screenplay writing some a drama basically i wanted emotions to weigh above the story where the right. story can be very simple but i wanted it like i wanted that feel to come out 
So yes, we got some really great actors. We got national award winner Suraj Banyarumut. We had like Manoj Kajim. We got all these big names. We had Babna to helmet. Of course, we did also approach other people, and you know, a lot of people were a little apprehensive of working with a first-time screenplay writer. Fair enough, no arguments, because they were all very supportive, saying, you know, show us what you got, and in the future, we'll definitely collaborate with you again. Which I guess was actually a wrong angle to go for, because <laughs> I don't think they're going to pick up the call after that. But then, the film came out, and you know. having that agenda to write a film for awards then do not go chase financial success i like miley cyrus wanted the best of both worlds at that point i wanted to write something that could give me like like recognition as a writer but i also wanted something that could be very commercially successful sorry those two don't often come hand in hand they do those success stories are there they exist every day and especially this new movie which has come out i i think you've heard of it. it's called romanjum that's just like a mm. okay it's a new film that, again like my film these sleeper budget films under 3 crores that are being made Romanjam has, I think, crossed a hundred, and it's still climbing. It's going okay. So there are success stories, but mine was not going to be one of those, right? And the film didn't do very exceptionally well. It kind of like you could say tanked at the box yeah. office. So then it becomes a race against time, right? Now, okay, now am I going to be a writer that slips into obscurity because of failed project, or am I going to like dust myself off and move again? Yeah. And I think Kuriyakos also could have attested to that. Films are unforgiving, right? Yeah, uh, they're not going to give you that second break that quickly. And my dad also told me, "Why don't you just take a breather, right? I think you have to like now think about things and like what's going to happen." So you realize, right? Engineering not happening. First film has completely like it's not happening. The films look it doesn't look like the films are happening either. Now, yeah, where does it go from here, right? Yeah. So also, just to quickly like stop you and to give context to our listeners, uh, Kuriyakos was a guest. previously on this season so you can go listen to that episode as well <laughs> yeah mm. back story kuriyakos and me have known each other for 10 years we're neighbors he lives two floors above my house <laughs> but yeah is small world indeed i yeah, just tried to capitalize on kuriyakos's fame i'm so sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah so uh from there what ha- what where were, where are we going to go from there and i i was happy i was lucky enough that uh, there was a small time advertising firm in kochi called the links india and i get very grateful to shivakant menon who is currently i think uh, leading uh, marketing for da mensch which is a men's branding apparel brand he was my head of content in this small advertising firm and i was lucky because as one of the only few burgeoning firms in the city we got some great projects and i suddenly got i got i was like flung into the world of copywriting from day one right because mm-hmm. as a company that short staffed coming on board as a junior copywriter actually meant a lot more responsibility than just being a guy who sat in the bylines and just observed no you're going to hit the ground running day 2 onwards like learn how to write <laughs> so i'm like what do you mean learn how to write i know how to write yeah you know how to write a story good for you we saw your film congratulations but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but uh, copywriting is a different ball game my son <laughs> you know like try again okay yeah and i i my my attitude was quite uh, you know skewed maybe i was going in with that i think i know what i'm doing i'm a writer i've made a film i think i can do this and whenever he'd ask me for a copy line brief i would just write one brief one line and be like this is this is this is the answer and he'd be like when i give you a brief i expect 50 tag lines and we choose not you okay so again that's when you learn okay so now i have to put some effort and then over a few months i was sharpening that skill i started learning but i'll be very honest and this is where again there's a quick it's it's pivoting really fast like my career is now flying like a jet right i'm just 6 months on advertising firm i got to work with great t- clients like 
Amazon. I was working with Mahindra Combiva. I was working with Logitech. I was working with Ibis Hotels. We did a great campaign for the Pullman New Delhi Aero City Hotel. So, of course, I was loving this work where you could be really creative with your words, right? You could also mix in regional language subtleties into it and you could really have fun with content. But I think on some level, because of disciplined writing from a young age, probably because of Janet, Janet Roy. Wherever you are, ma'am, I hope you're listening. Janet, ma'am, I actually met her a few months ago, just by the way. Oh my God, how is she? She's great. Uh, I met her at a school reunion, so yeah. But uh, yeah, so, uh, oh, where was I? I think I lost my trip. Yeah, so having worked and I got to, I think because of that discipline, structured writing, my my creative director, that time, Zach, and uh, Zach, Zach was very honest with me. He's like, yeah, you're working with some great brands, but the real brands that you're succeeding with happen to be Logitech because you were able to understand a little bit of the technical concepts that the other non-technical writers were gra- like struggling to grasp. And mm-hmm. you were just very cleanly writing copy because you knew what that keyboard did. You knew why a mechanical keyboard works better than a normal keyboard. You got the point. So maybe, you know, like technology is something you want to explore, right? Yeah. But around that time, I had actually on the side as a side gig, I started freelancing. And I did not freelance uh, ad copy. I was okay. freelance blog content. And a lot of blog content that was facing a talent crunch in the market at that time was B2B technical content, right? Okay. Not writing, just technical content from a B2B perspective. And writing about, in 2016, future tech at that time was IoT and cloud, right? Right, yeah. So writing about that, nobody was out there in the market. And especially they wanted someone for the cheap tire two city pay in Kochi city. Right. So they were struggling to find a writer and I was able to get these short term projects. And that started really kicking off where at one point my income from the freelancing was overshooting my salary from the oh, wow. advertising company. And in just eight months, I took that sudden decision to like just step away from advertising and pursue, be, pursue B2B writing. Right. right? And, you know, I, and I stopped freelance and the worst part is I immediately stopped freelancing, having said to myself, you know, it's really difficult to chase an invoice. Okay. To be very honest, and I didn't think that was for me. So I thought, okay, maybe I should find a job in B2B technical writing. Now, who hires a B2B technical writer? And in 2016, there was not a lot of clarity. 2017, uh, 18 actually, 18 end towards 19. Now we're beginning. There was not a lot of clarity, right? Right. As to who would go, who was going to employ me? But I, I got to see a lot of content writer roles. Okay. Now these content writer roles kind of like stretched across an entire spectrum, right from like head out. That was hiring uh, travel writers, travel loggers, yeah. all the way to like maybe a Cisco that required people for documentation. And that started, that delves deeper into technical documentation. They're not looking for creative writing. Okay. So in that middle somewhere were these companies that like B2B consultancies that were struggling to find writers. And uh, Trescon was the first organization. And I'm actually, I, I'm happy to mention this company's name here. Because when I joined Trescom, it was a very, uh, like, you know, a very small organization with, I think, about like 80 people, right? And I was one of those first few guys. And because I've entered in as a writer and before when they were struggling, having no writers at all on board, uh, they gave me a lot of power from the get-go. And in fact, I was hired as a content writer, but in like six months, they just like overturned that and said, content manager, just lead this, okay? Uh Because we don't want to risk you getting an offer for just like slightly higher pay and going, stick around stay around, right? I think we need you for some time, at least if not for, for the long run, we need you right now. Yeah. And Prescon, I explored the world of B2B writing. I was into uh, IoT, cloud blockchain, blockchain 
at that time had was it huge yeah it just became a buzzword around that time and this company was heavily focused on blockchain they conduct this very famous event called the world blockchain summit all around the world mm. and uh, having explored blockchain from the nuances where even the thought leaders in the industry are pretty much on the same level as you they are also still learning the tech and you're learning with them and yeah. i got this with some great leaders in the field of crypto and blockchain right uh i actually uh i got to my my the favorite person i think that i met and it was a real privilege to uh meet that person was definite would definitely have to be ivan lutra right okay was ivan lutra uh, even though uh, people would uh, there'll be a lot of naysayers out there uh this man has been a pivotal moment in the crypto world and uh, he being very blunt you get to learn a lot of things from a person right a person mm-hmm. who just calls a spade a spade right not a yeah. person who calls a club a really black beautiful flower right it's a club my friend you know and the irish know about it okay but so trescon was good for one and a half years and then now after that it's just been me running with that right i've been into i was a b2b content writer for for a couple of years i shifted a lot of organizations i got to jump into companies that dealt into ai telecom health tech hr tech i was heavily focused on future tech that was yeah. the that was my crux but that's when i stumbled upon the next stage of where this was going to take me right which was product marketing content okay but, yeah what was this gap what is product marketing content that is still a debate that's happening in the you know in the gullies and alleys like what is it who's writing this content right when you see a brochure and a white paper who's supposed to write this is yeah. it going to be the manager or is it going to be the product marketing content writer that's people like us who step on board but can they interest us completely do we understand the tech well enough to write about it on such a like you know a macro level right hmm. exploring that for one and a half years was great because i got to work with a great product marketing manager called hema she's an ex zoho freshworks alumni who worked in this conversational ai company i was at called enterprise bot and hema in that one and a half years drilled everything she could into me ruthlessly you know <laughs> was not going to look at the fact that i was coming in with about 3 and a half 4 years of experience she's like even i'm only at 7 I don't care. Either you learn or just get out. Okay. Yeah. And it 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 came to a point where I would say today we're great friends. We're actually good friends. We meet up now like as friends for a drink out there in Bangalore. Of course now she's in Montreal enjoying the snow. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that that uh, that's very important because these managers who will come through your life through your career, a lot of them will rely on you. A lot of them might put you down and say you don't know what you're doing. and a lot of them will just keep pushing you to the edge saying come on man you can if not you then why who else why not you why can't it be you why can't you be the person who learns right forget the guy who's come out with his mba degree he might not be a great writer he might be a better marketer so yeah. why don't you work in tandem with him and make something beautiful right and that's where product marketing content started to like thrive for me i understood that skill set gap and mm-hmm. that's important for every writer out there that's listening to us being a writer is great being a great writer cements your value but yeah. you have to find a skill set gap at least from an organizational perspective oh yeah 100% you're a freelancer good for you you can make, you can have a thriving career as a freelancer but if you want to work in an enterprise you have to find that skill set gap and you need to be that skill set that plugs the gap true so yeah, yeah. I think I got really episodic. No, I think I got very emotional. <laughs> no, a... but I think you finally found like that niche for yourself, right? That space for yourself to kind of be like, okay, this is what I'm good at and what I can do, and you know, this is what I'm going to sort of continue doing, or uh, at least as of now. 
half and half. I'd say, yes, I found this niche. It's great. Now, what, am I good at it? Let's take some time. I'll get back to you in a year or two and I'll do a answer at that point. But I'd say I'm thriving. I'm surviving. Yeah. Now it's about excellence. Let's strive right. for that. So. Okay. No, but that's really... No, but that is really cool that you've managed to find a space for yourself. And I would imagine it is a space you also enjoy being in, in some sense. Oh, it's funny that you ask that, right? Because I, I got, I'm sure even you get this a lot. What is it that you do, actually? The the usual question. When you're <laughs> yeah, I mean, when people ask me and I say I'm in publishing, the immediate response is, oh, so you're an editor. And I'm like... No. And I'm like, I do editorial work as, you know, on as freelance jobs and whatever, but I'm actually in the rights and business development side of it, which is actually something I do enjoy doing and which I actively pursued and seeked out. And I'm grateful that I got that position. Uh, but yeah, somehow people just don't think that creative industries have a business side and we do finance and we actually do marketing and sales and distribution. Somehow people just don't think of those things when they think of books. But yeah. We always want to like drum your career down into a very linear thought process. I know, so right? So what is it that you do, Nikhil? So I'd start off with like, yeah, so basically all the content that you see from a C-level perspective, which is your white papers, brochures, and immediately they cut you off with, by saying, oh, so you're a content writer. Uh, not really. Uh, one second. Uh, we have a pen and a paper. <laughs> like, I charted out for you, man. Like, yeah. And then after I charted out for them, oh, like social media, get out, man. Just get out. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Is this literally, yeah, is this literally. So what? What does rights mean? I'm like, oh, like license, licensing permissions, and they're like, oh, oh, okay, okay. Don't really get it, but sounds cool. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> sure, whatever. So yeah, that I think that's the only uh, thing right now where I struggle with, where I, I really can't explain the entire scope of my work to a person. And I, I could probably explain it to a person if they were sitting down with me for like 10, 15 minutes. But in a passing conversation, yeah. somebody just asked me like, hey, what do you do? I say, I just do something that's really boring that nobody else wants to do. Okay. It is very true actually in my career. Actually, a lot of people would thrive in this space, but it can get a little mundane. It can get a little repetitive, which... You know, it, it, that really chokes a writer. Like, why am I doing the same thing again and again, right? It just can't be the paycheck that motivates you after day after day. Hmm. Fortunately, that's wrong. Even a paycheck can motivate you because it kind of validates what you're doing day in and day out, right? Yeah. If you're being paid for your skills, that means your skills have value. It holds value in the global economic machine. So be proud of what you do and uh, oh, yeah. don't, let, don't let the relatives rain on your parade. You know? Yeah. No, but no, no, obviously, I mean, that is one part of it. Obviously, you face all these like misconceptions and assumptions about, you know, your job and what you do. And I think every person who works in some form of creative career or even other careers for that matter do face some amount of assumption at some point, because it's like you said, people just want to kind of dumb it down or just bring it to the bare basics of it and be like, okay, so this is what this is it. This is what you do. End of story. So it's easier for them to kind of comprehend what you're doing. Uh, but no, like, but but the thing is, what I'm asking is like, do you enjoy what you're doing? Or is it something you're just purely doing for the sake of it now then is what I'm trying to understand? No, that, that, that would be unfair. Because if I was actually chasing the paycheck, I would have actually moved into a different role by now. I am not I am actually seeking excellence in the sense that I want to reach a point where if anybody and anywhere at any point is looking for this skill set, they should be like, 
that nikhil guy that, that that really tall dude who can't hide behind trees he's taller than the tree yeah get that dude get that dude you know I, i want at least them to remember me in that passing thought because i was so good at my job that you respect me enough for me to cross your conversations and that's that's what actually is my career right now moving jobs now i am no i don't actively actually look for jobs it's always an opportunity that comes from an ex colleague who has probably moved on to another organization and if they see that skill set gap they reach out to me saying hey nikhil i think it's i think you can fill this role here right mm. and i've actually moved through organizations like that of course accelerator my current company is a classic success story in the power of a cold email so i was i i had resigned from my job unceremoniously uh, of like after just 45 days there because i didn't appreciate the culture that was going on there in that organization and uh, I didn't care whether I had another job in hand. I'm like, I'll see that as it comes. But right now, I need to leave. I need to like focus on myself for a moment, right? Because these guys were like on my head. And then I just after I took a week off, like two at least about ten days, I just took to like let that burnout just like leave my system. Yeah. I just fired a cold email uh, to this HR. I found him on LinkedIn, and within three days, I was on the job. Like the offer letter came in forty eight hours, and yeah, we that's amazing. Yeah, so that's why I tell people do not give up on cold emails, man. Why agree? Yeah. Because all my opportunities in publishing came through cold emails. Just FYI, so it's actually great. Just it's you know it's fine because I you know there's so many people who come up to me now and ask me they're like oh how did you you know break in what did you do and I'm just like listen just keep you know throwing things at the wall till something sticks like forget you know uh, this whole thing of oh I've been rejected and I, you can't take rejection so personally also that's what I keep telling people you have to be a bit detached and just keep trying. Absolutely, that's that's actually the that's actually the spot on attitude you should have, especially in a field where sometimes careers might not be just black and white. There's exactly. Obviously, so you have to be resilient. You have to know there's going to be a lot of times where you're like lost. You just don't know where you're going with this. Is this is this a sustainable career? Am I going to crash and burn in the next five years? Is Chat GPT going to take my job away? Yeah. <laughs> you know. all these like looming questions it's fine if you're confident in what you do you can upskill yourself you can beat the ai do not get that like ai is not like skynet from the terminator yet <laughs> maybe it's better you know but it's not sentient enough to beat human cognitive cognitive thinking right so be like just have faith in yourself and you can do something out there even today we have i'm not going to say that no we are aloof we are not going to use chat gpt 100% chat gpt is a good aid a good tool it speeds up it streamlines a lot of content processes that can like now we are we are much more streamlined right and using chat gpt to drive content we have been able to shoot ballpark figures for our content volumes and metrics right we have gone into the millions of viewers into our websites now and that's great i've actually this is the first time i'm in an organization where we are at 1 million views 2 million views for our website traffic and that i've never been in an organization that has seen those kind of sky high rocket numbers right so it's unless like if you work in a google or an oracle maybe <laughs> but for a startup and that's scaling you know so and it's great especially in the startup space you get to either be a part of a success story or you get to be an intricate cog in a failure depends on where it goes north or south but it doesn't matter just like go with that you know right yeah and i have been in an organization that you know like I, i something told me it wasn't going right and the minute i left within 4 months the company belly up right oh wow so, so i always trust my gut instinct because you know like uh, mukesh hasn't let me down yes i call my gut instinct mukesh because an old friend i had an old friend called mukesh who always used to give me good advice so i'm like you are now my new mukesh <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so i feel terrible for mukesh but okay <laughs> 
Mukesh is doing amazing in Sweden. <laughs> Just for <laughs> this Mukesh yeah. loves so much. <laughs> oh my god! I feel bad for both Mukeshes at this point. But anyway, no. But it's interesting you brought up ChatGPT and AI because no, honestly, like, what is your take on it? I mean, I know you. You're like, okay, it's not going to re- replace anyone at any point. But just, I think the way people are viewing it, also, it's really. Because some people are like, oh yeah, like AI will never be able to replace humans at all for anything ever. And then some people are just like panicking and are like, oh my god, my job is gone. So just generally, like, what is your take with where AI and is going in terms of like writing and copywriting and stuff? That's actually a it's a great thing that you brought that up because I actually have a a great opinion piece on Thrive Global, which I'll share with you later. which is basically about uh, the advent of technology and you know people from uh, like i think the 19th century onwards have always been apprehensive to technological advancements it started with i think gutenberg's printing press i think uh. in 1838 or 1898 i'm not very good with dates i'm sorry sorry people you can google it and get the right date but ever since gutenberg came out with this printing press people are like oh no the artisans are going to lose their jobs the guys who would manually co- ma- like copy these manuscripts right what's going to happen to them Well, it was very simple. You give each of them a printing press, and they churn out thirty books a day, not one book in two days, right? The the printing press was just going to be a tool to increase volume output. It wasn't going to replace the artisan because you always want one human at the helm of affairs when technology comes into the picture. It's always good to have that synergy between human and machine, because I don't want to bring up Terminator again. Okay, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, I'll be back. But you know. <laughs> Having said that, from that point, technology has always been like you know appre- people are a bit apprehensive. But as as the technology found its uh, foot, its firm footing in like uh, human uh, working and culture, people over time would start to embrace it. Today, mm. the printing there is no world without a printing press. Though now we are go- moving into the digital age where printing press on a whole itself is being threatened as a business. because you've seen that newspapers have seismically reduced their volumetric output in terms of hard physical copies of newspapers yeah. and magazines and all of that so uh, i think with the t- changing times sure i would say some jobs will get eliminated but i don't think technology is going to be at the core of why jobs are destroyed and new jobs by a result are created it's yeah. always going to be where the human race is proceeding towards right and if it comes to a point like where a, a a technology like chat gpt can be so intelligent that it's gone into the meta learning stage of its uh, entire life cycle and i'll come to what that meta learning cycle is in a bit but if it's so smart that it can do everybody's job like from the content writer all the way to the back end developer and the senior engineers and nobody has a job anymore then we come into this conversation that started as early as 2006 which is the ubi or the universal basic income but okay UBI gives rise to a conversation which would create this kind of a dystopian utopia that makes no sense where people are just <laughs> living for the sake of living. Like uh, you've seen that movie Wall-E, right? Those people living in yeah. that. Yeah. It's just something like that. And humans are very bad when they're complacent. Complacency has always been evil in human mind. Idle man's mind, devil's workshop, right? That's the same. So. i would say that no i would not want to believe that a highly intelligent tech like chat gpt is going to replace jobs it's going to be a very uh, like a steroid infused tool that we can op- we're going to employ to only increase and drum up volume if it becomes really smart and like i don't know it runs for the 2029 presidential election i don't know maybe like, <laughs> that's a conversation we'll have another day but you know but um, 
so yeah so uh, yeah answering that question mm, 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 uh, let's let's see it you know we don't know what's going to happen in the next let's say 10 years right uh, an asteroid's going to fly through the earth uh, you know the dinosaurs are going to come back to life they'll find a a 50 foot snake frozen in the tundra that becomes the ruler overlord who knows like you know everything is subjective now there are people who believe in lizard people in the sewers so i don't know anything you can you can believe anything you want today choose your god worship it choose your religion worship it doesn't matter right yeah. but coming back to what content and of what technology will always mean it's only going to be an aid be happy that they invented anesthesia otherwise they're going to be cutting you open while you were alive i mean like oh when you were yeah so tech, it's it's because of invention that life is only going to become better right medical sciences and you know I, i've worked for a little bit in the health tech startup and writing about health tech it just it blew my mind right especially what they're doing with casper and crispr9 and all these like gene splicing tech out there like we are going to reach a point where yes we're going to have nanobots inside our bodies we're going to be able to like you know remove and replace organs like they were air filters in your engine right it's it's going to become probably that linear and when you're in that era of human mankind then what is all this chat gpt that those conversations become moot because we have now ushered in the next era of life that all of this is no longer relative so in 3 years the conversation is going to change you're going to ask me a very different question uh, chat gpt yeah. is just another integrated tool like freshworks zoho uh, bing uh, grammarly 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 almost emerged as the first threat to writers yeah. right so and but right now you and me know as writers we rely on grammarly we have deadlines that we can't meet and we don't have the time to like oversee every line of like a thousand word article thank you grammarly right yeah <laughs> so, you know you made my life easier and you know I, it's it's great so yeah that, i think that is a very broad <laughs> like a very extrapolated answer to your question i think i think you've realized sagita i don't give direct answers i like to like go around and round yeah around. that that has been forever but anyway that's that's why you're on a podcast this is just more content for me and all of us to listen to interesting story my sufferable way of answering questions always used to drive pamela ma'am insane you know oh my god <laughs> we're just giving shout outs to all our school teachers at this point yeah i and i think i'm very conveniently bringing up the favorites but okay <laughs> Oh my god but no um you know but it's really interesting to hear your take on that because this has been an ongoing conversation now at least for the past couple of months especially because people are like oh my god like you know will we not require copywriters anymore in fact there are like even writers who are like oh like you know will ai now just come in and write books and will humans not you know write anything at all and i'm just like i think it's a bit far fetched to immediately i mean i think you, it's a great tool to use for ideas maybe but i think you still need that some amount of human touch and i don't think ai can do that yet uh the day it does i mean i guess we'll see what happens uh but yeah but also kind of i actually truly believe the tech hasn't reached that point where it can at least uh, okay forget uh technical content that we all write maybe charging that ours will be the first jobs that it displaces fine or maybe it becomes a very important tool it's not going to like take over a quintessential like a, a fictional writer's job ever right because recently i think somebody on linkedin a famous thought leader he put chat gpt 4 to the test right and he asked full fledged novella now yeah, the prompt yeah, yeah. yeah and the novella came out and you know just reading that short story which i think about 3000 words i could tell you off the bat three stories it ripped off starting with ex machina okay 
okay i'm like oh yeah ai falling in love thank you i did not see this movie in 2011 okay <laughs> there and it 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 took a little bit of the remnants of a salvation terminator's film as usual and it copied a couple of the elements of isaac asimov's uh, mutilation of his algorithm which is explained in irobot will smith's film right oh ChatGPT still relies on existent content to create its own. So that kind of like strings that thin line on plagiarism on some yeah, level. Yeah, right? true, true. How can you? How can it? How can it like like a uh, take over a writer's job where a, a crazy guy like Stephen King can just sit down in his like his like you know in his backyard in Germany somewhere wherever he lives right now and he. thinks these fantastical stories like carry and uh, you know like how could it take, how could it like sub, like substitute hp lovecraft's greatest novel like the call of tulu and all these great books right and i don't think ai will ever be able to think like the human mind because the human mind does not think linearly it's boundless we have 1 million brain cells so many neurons firing in different directions that suddenly a story can do a 180 and go in the other direction which ai will not want to do ai will want to follow a logical approach to starting a story giving you a middle and then finishing it with a climax wrapping it up all into a pretty bow and presenting it to you right that's not what a great author does a great author wants you to just like turn each page going like what the hell you know like he wants you to think like that so I don't think so. I don't think a writer's job, especially a quintessential writer's job, is going to be fulfilled through AI. Maybe the run-of-the-mill jobs. Yes, I don't think a copywriter's job also is going to be taken. Yeah, even I don't think so. Honestly yeah. speaking, at least where the tech is right now, right? Yeah. People, uh, people bash me for this, right? They're saying you're 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 being a naysayer, you know. Uh, but I j- I keep saying like I can be the doomsday soothsayer if you want me to, right? I can say that yes, we are going into the Skynet level because I think it's a matter of time before the military starts entrusting AI, and I think we all know where that goes, right? So, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't. I, I there's no definitive answer, but I don't think so. I don't think we're there yet. Let's see. Let's talk about this. <laughs> you know. In ten years, yeah, if we have jobs, no, I think we will. But yeah. yeah like, Let's start with that, with the pollution and the quality of food out there alive. Let's start with the basics. Oh my God! Wow, so optimistic. I feel like people are going to listen to this and be like, "Wow, what a what a great future we all have in store." Yeah, like what happened to this dude? Like who who hurt this guy? <laughs> oh my God! So okay, also to kind of um pivot. I know you've ghostwritten articles as well. That's something you've done. Um. So, what is your take on ghostwriting? Because I feel like that's again something there's a lot of debate on, just in terms of oh, is and sometimes there's even like a negative connotation associated with it. Like, oh, is it ethical? Is it, you know, is it really fair? And and there's there are a lot of things. So, like, what is your perspective on ghostwriting? Yeah, so that, I think that's that's a two pronged approach to looking at it from the ethics perspective. Like, yeah, so. most of ghost writing does exist for the thought leadership space and uh, the 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 seesaw moment is like yes when you when you're reading content from the thought leadership perspective you want to hear from the thought leader you want to hear what he says you don't want to hear what the ghost writer has to say but the ghost writer is just merely a person that's been contracted to do the heavy lifting right yeah. uh, when i when i used when i i i've ghostwritten about three articles before i stopped and all three the people who i was writing it for they gave me a detailed brief of what they wanted to say so yes the wording and the tone it's definitely nickel man and if you read that sure agree because i can only write from how i think but the words that i'm saying and the perspective i'm putting across that's theirs 
because that is that is set in guidelines and they're brief and i cannot mm. stray from there so there i think it's more of like again a paid contractual aid right right but now when you go into ghost writing for personal work and let's say i think one thing that has always plagued the industry from i think the 90s has been the music industry and a lot of artists have been like fingers have been pointed artists saying this person used a ghost writer to write this song and so yeah. it's technically not him so you know all this time i always felt like uh, like you know this artist was speaking from his heart no it was it was somebody else's issues that this guy was just emulating in a recording studio for you right and right. then you kind of want to detach and dissociate yourself but again that's like that's something else altogether but i really think that ghost writing should not be looked at from an ethics perspective because a ceo will not have the time to sit and churn out a thousand word article or if he does find the time expect to get it in like a year okay that's the amount <laughs> of time he can dedicate for this right because if you see ceo calendars forget the ceo just go four levels above where we stay the directors their calendars are chock blocked for the entire week i have squeezed four minutes and all in between in a day to just get in a word with my vp right because they're 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 booked not only are they doing their vertical work but they are a part of important like fundraising dis- discussions go to market strategy they, they're all over the place and then yeah. in that chaos you want them to write an article a blog for you sorry that's like the lowest rung in their ladder they're not yeah. going to come to it that soon so at that point you rely on someone right to actually do the heavy lifting and that's your ghost writer he's going to come in and if he's an established writer he's probably going to do a good job and some thought leaders are not good with putting their thoughts into words they can give you like rough bullet points but they're not writers they were not trained to be very exhaustive with the way they write something if they had to write the blog they'd write it in four lines and give it to you like that's it that's all i had to say we tend to get very flowery with the language and we can just drone on for like 1000 2000 words right do more research and like like you know beef it up so no that's not an ethic i don't think it's an ethics game mm-hmm. but i think from a career standpoint there is one uh, negative connotation that comes with ghostwriting as in i would not suggest you start off with ghostwriting early on in your career yeah was uh, an ethical ghostwriter will never share the content that he has written for someone so you will not have much of a portfolio to show anyone yeah it will become a conversation where you will have to tell that person just trust me trust me i wrote that i can't show you but i wrote it you know but and that's moot nobody's no sorry that doesn't exist in today's world you know seeing is believing right in any any aspect so yeah from a career perspective think about it through i also did ghost writing i think maybe like two and a half years into my career where it just became a monetary perspective right it's right. good money okay i i was not i was not even a seasoned writer so i regretted these days that i actually did not charge enough because at that time what i thought why i was quoting a very heavy price i'm like i don't think they're going to pay me this amount right and they ended up just paying those amounts like it was just a pebble in the beach you know like it's nothing for them and now when i actually learned how much ghostwriters were making then and are making now my god i want to go and rewrite that invoice man <laughs> like you know <laughs> like but yeah but so that, that i think that's very important get your portfolio every writer out there have a portfolio have something to show right you have yeah, to be yeah 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 skills right don't expect people to trust you nobody's going to trust you it, we have come to an era where we can't even trust family right so why am i going to trust you man so so all girl or everything else yeah true so then okay okay so then okay at this juncture in your career do you think you'll ever go back to film is that something you think you'll ever do that that question makes me want to cry i'm so sorry oh my god 
you know because uh it's it's something i think i face every day because that is the you know the glorified version of being a writer like right? you can be there you can become famous you can make money you can like rub shoulders with us i i would say that most of the time when people ask me about like are you ever going back to go are you ever going to go back to films and become a screenplay writer some of them at least most of them are asking me that question from that perspective they want to know why aren't you going back to that field you have a father who can help you climb faster again and now that you have established yourself as a writer on the corporate side people will take you more seriously so maybe you should try again but i'm like can you not hear your own question i have established myself somewhere else right it's going to take a lot of guts for me to put everything off that's going on right now on the back burner and on hold and now dive back into films and that's where i'm standing at right i'm i'm not it's i can't even say i'm at that juncture of the crossroad there was a juncture and i unfortunately i've teetered off into the other direction where i can still see the other road but unfortunately now it's slightly sneaking away from each other no but i think that, no what i'm asking so in, is so what no. i'm saying is it involves a massive u turn just getting back to the junction and going again because trust me balancing a corporate writing career with writing a screenplay not going to happen maximum i'll have to take a sabbatical and like yeah. sit away from work for 3 4 months to churn out a screenplay because i've been struggling with that for the last one year fyi this is something i don't tell people i've just been doing it on my own i've been trying to actually make that comeback but trust me i wish i can show you my google cloud there are at least 12 scripts left halfway because i either get uh, detached from the story i no longer believe in the story midway that i'm writing i i lose confidence in the character the plot or sometimes i'm just sometimes i'm just lost i have i don't know where i'm going with something i don't have the time to finish it my la- the recent one is the victim of that i don't have the time to visit it again and eventually i'm going to lose stock of what i was writing and that story is going to be gone forever that's obviously going to be a fear because when you're concocting stories in the top of your head don't live in the belief that it's going to stay there forever because your mind yeah. is constantly firing you'll forget that story in a heartbeat so i don't know man sagita i i i wish i had a straight answer again for you but unfortunately it is something that i wrestle with and uh i yeah sorry <laughs> like no no I, but i mean no because obviously see it has remained see if you don't want to go back to it that's fine that's like your personal decision but is it something you feel like you definitely want to try again if not anything else no actually it's not that i don't want to go back to it again but i don't know like I, either it's maybe it's a lack of confidence because i got i got burned the first time i went around yeah 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 and actually the critics were so brutal with me sangeeta right yeah. they, they didn't even bother to give that consideration they just went for it they're like newcomer yeah. writer very evident so many mistakes we can see it right there okay De- definitely has some chops but needs to learn some more and that's what i i took from that needs to learn some more so i still need to learn a little bit more i maybe i have to make my stories a little bit more human i don't mm. know something that's relatable to the current generation i i know maybe i can't write stories that would have worked in 2005 i need to now mm. think we're at 23 and i need to write more fast paced mm. content i don't know i still haven't figured the kinks out but i am looking at that content always i'm always thinking about it it's um i use a i use a saying that i don't think i should say but i call films for me that unforgiving mistress but you know okay. it's 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 there it's something that i love and i'm passionate about but unfortunately i'm married to the current career right <laughs> you know okay <laughs> you know? <laughs> okay then yeah anyway so okay um again sort of shifting gears uh, i want to ask you about you know 
artists, writers, and just content that's kind of stuck with you throughout the years. Um, especially, I think when you are a creative, or actually, you don't even need to be a creative person for this. I feel like anyone, while growing up itself, I feel like there'll always be some piece of art or content that kind of sticks with you, or influences you, or impacts you in a certain way. Um, I know for me, one book that's always kind of stuck with me, especially as a kid and even now, is Little Women. Uh, by Lois May Alcott. Uh, that's one book that I don't know. I just keep going back to, and that story is something I just keep going back to. Um, interestingly, I have to uh, mention another thing. There was a book that you gifted me for my eleventh or twelfth birthday. I don't know if you remember this. I don't think it was your idea. I think it was like your mother or sister's idea. Uh, it's called The Broken Flute by Sharda Dwivedi, uh, which well, is another book. Have huh? to be my dad. Have to be okay. my dad. Yeah, I I loved that book. Um, that was again another book that really stuck with me. So you know, what are the kinds of you know content that's stuck with you? Again, can be books, films, TV shows, music, anything. Oh, okay. oh you just made that question so damn tough. Okay, <laughs> you opened up too many like avenues. I know. What, no, but what? like just, you know, because the reason I ask this is because sometimes there are like certain, you know, writers or stories that really like hit you and you're like, oh my God, this is just going to stick with me for a really long time. Or then you kind of realize that these are the kind of stories that do stick with me and that I do resonate with. So that's why I usually ask this question. That, that beautiful question. That's that's lovely. Okay. Well, I think from the get go, yeah, let, let's just, let, uh, let's approach each of these roles. <laughs> In terms of literature, right? Yeah, I'm sure there's so many greats that we can talk about. But I think the book that I can say unabashedly is something that always sticks with me is going to be every single thing that's written by H.P. Lovecraft and Stephen King. I have okay. always been a horror fanatic. And even in the film category, horror is my go-to genre. I think I've seen maybe over 800 horror films from all languages. I span across. Wow. I see Finnish, Polish, Korean... Thai, Thai, one of my favorite directors is Rocky Soraya. Try and catch him if you can. Okay. Director, but moving on from that. So Stephen King, the way he used to write these books, right? It doesn't matter whether it's believable or not from a realism perspective. He's going to give you a story that makes you think and makes you push that boundary as to what horror can be. Horror doesn't have to be an entity. It can just be that unnerving feeling of dread. That's what he said in an interview and it just stuck with me, right? And it made me respect his books even more. Because Carrie is not scary as a book. Oh, that rhymes. But... <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Yeah, but it's just that unnerving sense of dread throughout the book. Even Pet Cemetery, there's nothing scary about that book. There's no ghost. There's nothing that comes flying at you from the window. But you just feel very dis, like you know, disheartened or like unnerved at the end of that book. Like, what just went down, right? And... Uh, I think that's the same thing with H.P. Lovecraft because it's a very interesting story. He was another tortured writer like us. Uh, he, I think he started writing in the 1870s. And okay. uh, one of my favorite books of his, I think that might have been his first. I could be wrong. People can correct me. But I think it was the Necronomicon, otherwise known as the Book of the Dead. right? Okay. And writing about touchy subjects like that, the thing from the beyond. That, that story of his, which is about interdimensional travel where creatures come through a wormhole... In, 1890, in the 1890s, nobody was going to buy that. So this guy used to just stitch these books, these hand-woven bound books, put them in baskets. Ironically, like the Malayalam writer Vaikam Muhammad Bashir as well. Ah. This guy would go from doorstep to doorstep pitching his book like, hey, buy my book, right? Uh, and 
nobody would buy these books and hp lovecraft died in abject poverty or starvation and all of that and it's a very disheartening story because 50 years later his book has been in his books have been inducted into the literature congress right like these mm. books will go down in history as a pivotal moment but unfortunately like van gogh and all these guys they had to die in poverty because nobody saw that vision then they were born in the wrong era simple as that right and that content has always like stuck with me and i i feel like i can always go back to those kind of books like i think i have reread carry like two three times but it's it's just like fun it's it's something that you can like resonate with especially if you were a child at some point who was bullied and you could just you just wished that you could like derive some power from the universe and take revenge on these people that rained hell on you day in and day out and that's how he re- he took a subject that could resonate with everyone but it's horror that's that was the moment that was the moment when he turns as an author and that stuck with me i love that kind of content but when you come to tv shows and we have been blessed in the era with great tv shows i think nothing will hit me haunt me or you know make me feel like i don't know what's going on is the sopranos the sopranos mm. has been one of the greatest series ever made uh, a great writer uh, david chase right and um, one of the greatest actors of that time james gandolfini and i'll tell you something so the sopranos that final episode which is called made in america i rewatched that episode i think still i think maybe 10 times in a year or maybe even more if i'm bored and i'm just sitting down one day i'll watch that episode because you know why there was room for him to tell you so much but he walks away from the series not telling you anything at all spoiler alert an emotional spoiler alert i'm not going to tell you what the story is but i'll tell you what you're going to feel when you walk away from that series finale you're going to be like why tell me more i want to know and that was the feeling he wanted to invoke in you he wanted you to just know oh god it's over it's over that's it and it was the greatest thing it was a part of my life and luckily like people in the back in the day had to wait 6 years to watch the entire series we i was able to watch it in 2 months right <laughs> just watch 6 seasons and it's long they're really long an hour long episodes so it takes it takes time and it can sometimes be a little tough to sit through some episodes because it it borders between the mafia and drama and he has married these two very different stories mario puzo tried it with the godfather but it obvi- always stemmed down back to what the mafia was but that's not what the sopranos was the sopranos was always ever going to be a family drama that mm. was woven around the chicago mob that was dying out in the early 2000s like they were losing power so that's a very very interesting take you're not going to show somebody at the height of their power you're showing a person that's getting defeated because the system's getting stronger legal legalities were cracking down on the mafia and that that push and that pull it was a, it was six seasons of a roller coaster right and that will never because if i want to write something i should aspire to be as great as that series because you go to anybody who has watched the sopranos and the first thing is they're going to lean back and tell you about two episodes one is the finale made in america and the other one was called unlimited free parking where a, a series favorite met its end right so mm. it's yeah that that's from that perspective from tv shows there it is that's sopranos <laughs> go watch it you're missing out okay <laughs> like go catch it if you haven't already if you have welcome to the club man so yeah but and but from i think from a written perspective as somebody who wants to find you in their writing skill let's just go back to the textbook basics uh william strunk junior okay the elements of style uh he was i think a professor at uh uh 
Yukon, Pennsylvania or something like that. Uh, and he, he wrote the foundation of how writing styles changed. And that's where it gets very important. When you look at rudimentary grammar, it is archaic at best. Right? Right. And I'll tell you why. Uh, I, w- I want to I, I believe that, uh, no offense to what's going on with CBSC and CRT and all these guys that are like struggling with their think tanks to make the textbooks better every year. But I think that somewhere along the line of what the laws of grammar and written English was, it has been lost through this, uh, like, you know, year to year conversations. Yeah. Because I'll tell you something, and I think you might remember this. It's something that even, unfortunately, even our teachers back in Lady Andal had told us that you never start a sentence with the word and. Yeah. Oh, I remember that? this very clearly. Yeah. Yes. And that is utter nonsense. And I'll tell you why. Okay, this concept of not starting a sentence with the word and actually comes back down to the 19th century, like uh, catechism classes, where uh, the, the Catholic schools, where they were teaching students how to write, they used to take grammar classes for them as well, to make sure children under the age of nine do not stray away from the point, you do not start a sentence with and, so that you can't go off, you can't say and this also happened and you go off. Yeah. It was just to keep children in line for written context. It was not a grammar rule. It was just a thumb rule for discipline. Okay. How did, this become, how did this become the grammar standpoint? That's because nobody went down and actually found the origin of this, uh, you know, arc, I, I, don't, I don't get into it because it makes me cry. Because I've had arguments. I have fought with management people and organizations saying, you know what? Your knowledge is coming from what somebody talks about in the local chowk, Right. This not starting a sentence with the word and is just, it was just created one day out of thin air just to imbibe discipline, right? Like I remember, I think in school, they also never used to let us experiment with the colons and semicolons. Yeah, yeah. Like Try not to because why why do you use a colon? Why do you use a semicolon? Can't change. Hey, forget it. We are now in the era of the dash. Yeah. (laughs) M dash, N dash. Yeah, it's just a dash. Okay, Forget the colon and semicolon. We'll arrange its funeral later. You know, it's dead. It's just a dash these days. So I'd say if you really want to always hone your skill, this handbook called The Elements of Style is something that will never go out of style because he explores the English written language from a perspective of audio and what just makes sense. You will come away from this after reading that book knowing everything going forward has to be a gut instinct when it comes to English, right? Because... At the end of the day, a language was created out of nothing. Yeah. So the laws were only created from things that made sense. So yes, while the laws of grammar are rigid, there are breaks in these laws. And you have to just find these breaks to make the language more interesting, more uh, like beautiful, you know, like the canvas, you know, like throw your paint on the canvas and see what it throws up. Maybe not like that exactly, because some <laughs> rules are rigid. But you have to question these stupid status quo that are being put out there because it is it's something that was drummed into them from a young age the person was telling me that do not start a sentence with and i'm like i want to find the person who told you that and slap that person first (laughs) (laughs) first let's start the grassroots level of punishment (laughs) then we'll come to you okay but yeah so that's what i'm saying and that i have i have been challenged yeah i have been I have been asked to like either do it. It's either their way or the highway. Do not start a sentence with and. But trust me when I tell you, I think, you know, I'm stubborn. I'm stubborn as they come. Of course, having grown up, I've become maybe a little less stubborn, but stubborn nonetheless. Mm, I don't know about that, but okay. 
yeah well i'm ready to listen nowadays a little bit more at least a little more not too much but it's that that inability to accept things that i know is wrong if i don't know i will accept your perspective but because i'll be like okay i don't know you're telling me so now i'll know but if you don't know but i know trust me i will make sure you know by the end of it as well right and that was that whole six month battle i had with an organization about starting a sentence with a letter and he would keep telling me don't do it and i just keep doing it you know till he backed down and found out the answer himself when i shared him the reference material to read about the history of the word i mean this whole concept and finally he it was able to dawn upon him that oh oh <laughs> like you know it was a realization moment for him as well great everybody walks away from this entire fiasco smarter and wiser so great yeah no but that's and then uh, that's i think where my i think things that have stuck with me and then i if you have to get down to the basics i would say i enjoy a good fiction novel from sydney sheldon now and then you know it's like that. <laughs> god that's my mother <laughs> yeah i don't want to insult him because he's a great author actually i think it's a pen name if i'm not correct if i'm uh, maybe i'm incorrect maybe i'm not sure person. no no i'm I... not sure yeah yeah i i have i've read somewhere that might be a pen name i'm not sure but yeah but he is like what you call the junk food you know it's great it's tasty it's really nice to eat it's not something that you should use as an inspirational like benchmark <laughs> but enjoy an author who knows how to give you fun stuff right it's like chetan bhagat does in india as well yeah he, yeah yeah he oh yeah I, i'm sorry him. i enjoyed reading two states and uh, yeah. five point someone thank you i actually just reread two states a few days ago when i was on a, like i had a two day wellness leave i'm like you know what i haven't read about you know arjun malhotra and ananya <laughs> you know or is ananya something those two characters i haven't read about them. those two characters stuck with me for a long time because he took this concept of intercultural marriage yeah. and made it fun because that's exactly how it's going to be it's two people who don't know anything about anybody about each other you have and it's still today even to this day i have so many north indian friends people who i'm very close to and they're just so mesmerized by what we do and i'm equally mesmerized by what they do like i've attended a marriage and i'm like it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you guys are doing this like i'm like <laughs> i'm going to complain hours start at maybe 6 a.m but you guys are like going backwards yeah but as it's only like 5 minutes okay malayali weddings are literally 5 minutes and we're done <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And I went for this wedding, and the fair hour started. I was like, "Hey, how long is this gonna take?" He's like, three, four hours." I'm like, three, four hours." Like, <laughs> yeah, I what? know. Yeah, but yeah. So that, I like, I like that book, and I, I, I respect Chetan Bhagat as a guy who wants to reach the masses. He wants to tell fun stories, and he writes it very simply. So even that layman who struggles with the language can go through his book like properly. You're not going to struggle like when you pick up Shashi Tharoor's novel and he tells you from oh, the get go, yeah. hey, "I'm going to confuse you. Be ready." <laughs> yeah. By and keep way, a thesaurus handy. Yeah. And a dictionary. Way, my, my favorite word that I actually think on some level is a thing that resonates with me is Tarur introduced us to it. It's called defense rate, which may, basically means a person who always likes to argue his viewpoint and stick by it and debate it and make you believe that this is it. You know, defense rate. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's something that you know. Yeah. So yeah, that, that I think that that answers that question because that's these are these. first things i would always come to my mind if probably we sat down for a couple of hours we could dissect it even further look at other content that has yeah, probably yeah of course but and also for copywriters out there something that was very instrumental in those even though very short lived career 8 months as an advertising copywriter something that really worked people check out his name is guy french and i'm sure most copywriters know him okay. he is uh, he was back in the day uh, 
I think he led all all the greatest agencies of the world that you can think of. Ogilvy and before it was called Ogilvy Benson Mather. So he used to lead all those content initiatives there before he moved into a, becoming a million dollar like consultant. Like if you wanted him on your campaign, you're going to shell out big bucks, right? Because he's guy French. And if anybody wants to know how talented he is as a copywriter, a person who again pushed the status quo, check out his EXO beer copy. It is okay. something that blows your mind. Where I'm very sure they gave him a banner with a beer image, and they're like, write two lines of copy, and he said, no, here's nine lines of copy. Yeah, he used to write copy that was so long, saying, if it's interesting, a person will read it. Mm. If you're writing, if you're writing just generic nonsense. You only have six words to tell them what you want to say. And move on. But if you're writing great content, he's the he's the only guy who, in the in the form of advertising, they used to run thousand word articles about Exobia, and he used wow. to just dial in. He used to just he'll make you laugh when you're reading this entire article. He at one point he's like, oh, the person who didn't understand this, shoo shoo, go away, and then dot dot dot, and you'll start writing. He will just get lost in his work. So yes, please check him out. He will make you question these. pillars that uh, advertising agencies nowadays put forth to copywriters to to try and kind of like restrict them and bind them no man break that chain check out what guys did check out how they became successful because they never they it was never a their way or the highway it was more of a let let me tell you what i know and what i think works and let's find out if it works if it doesn't work fine i'll never do this again here but you have to give it one shot right so, <laughs> No, but uh, it's really cool to kind of hear the things that have influenced you, and yeah, great recommendations. I'm sure everyone will check them out, and I'll obviously mention them in the episode notes as well for people to refer. But yeah, now we're coming towards the end of this interview, and we always end with these last two questions. So the first one is, what are your um, aspirations? These can be personal, professional, creative, basically things you're looking forward to in the near or even distant future. Okay, uh, I I that's a that's that's a very introspective introspective kind of a question because I think especially at this juncture, if you had probably asked me this question four years ago, I'd probably have much more pinpointed answer. But at this point, where I have done the usual rat races, I've chased that fatter paycheck, I've chased that fancier lifestyle, that 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 life that probably a younger, more naive person would want to chase. You know, like the fast life, living the high life, traveling, going abroad, like just doing that shit, like just dropping big bucks here and there. I think somewhere along the line, you realize that yes, money might fulfill a lot of things. Hands yeah. down, hundred percent. Oh yeah. Yeah, go, yeah, go money. You know, like go that. But then, on some, I don't think that's going to be something that I would want to chase now going forward because I've been able to prove that yes, I can make money. Now I need to, I for in the content perspective, I need to prove that I can do the things that maybe I initially set out to do and maybe set out to achieve. Uh, it's not just movies, by the way. I also always wanted to write a book. and okay. i always want to write a fictional book i do not believe in being a you know subjective with my work i want to write fantastical stories like you know like if I, maybe like a, maybe like an ad astra in like a novel for who knows you know something that can just be like wow that's unbelievable but great work you know yeah. so so that is definitely going to be one of my aspirations going forward like i'm currently living a phase where i'm i've named it i've taken i've taken inspiration from the jonas brothers documentary it's called nickel men and chasing happiness and what <laughs> and what is happiness second question <laughs> wow yeah so that's mm-hmm. going to be what i'm going to do and that's an aspiration from there personally i have learned that from a personal view front you cannot really actually have a life of too many aspirations because i've learned that aspirations are good aspirations drive the soul but aspirations are also a source of deject de- dejection 
and maybe a lot of heartbreak in your life so i would always recommend take it as it comes man you know like don't set out don't calendar your life you know a lot of people love to put a lot of order and structure into their life saying you know when i'm this this is going to happen when i'm this old that's going to happen that's great set those goals nobody's telling you not to but do not live your life geared to those personal goals where you know it could be either detrimental to actual growth mm. or it yeah. could just be like it could be something that doesn't let you sleep peacefully at night because that i've seen do i've seen goals do that to people right so i don't think personally we should take anything from a goal perspective let things happen if you say that okay i want to be married at 35 and i want to have settled down by then oh that's great that's fantastic that's a very good that's a good way to look at it but do not start kicking your life into gear thinking of <laughs> the deadline at 35 what yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah yeah for sure go at about it organically i have a friend she's very close to me and she always says this to me she says let things happen organically you might actually find a little bit more happiness in organic success and i'm like wow okay cool that's that's great and she's right nowadays i am just taking everything organically and i'm a little bit at peace because i realize i we don't really have a lot of control and if yeah, you're a person and believes in god then you should know that free will is a myth so so either way when you look at it it okay, just gets <laughs> yeah so that's an answer to your question yeah yeah okay so then the last question which i guess in a way you've sort of tied your answer in with this but i'm still going to ask it if you have anything else to add um what is a piece of advice or learning you'd like to share and again this can be personal professional creative whatever basically something you've experienced and you just wish people were aware of um i would say uh two things to people out there uh one thing is if you're if you're chasing success that's great uh but do not belittle the people around you because they might not be chasing it at the same pace you are and uh, i have seen that throughout like you know a lot of people who like i had friends who when i was still in the industry like just starting off you know those small paychecks and there are already people crossing that lack that lack a month is always your first benchmark right in your career before you move into the 2 lakhs and the 3 lakhs and the 4 lakhs and the 5 lakhs wherever you want to go with your life right so when we are all pushing that and trying to get there in that first one or two years and somebody off the get go starts off right there somebody has started their career at your dream right and it it could unnerve you it could make you question things right but i think all of that is put to rest if that person doesn't belittle you and i would suggest that to everyone out there who's chasing success let the people around you catch up prop them up but never put them down encourage them but never destroy hope that's all i can yeah. say that is one thing i would that is one thing that i wanted to say <laughs> <laughs> the second thing that i would say is uh career is very important Yes, work is God, as they call it. Whatever your career may be, but uh, it should never come at the cost of your personal relationships with anybody, be it yeah. family, friends, or lovers. Let it. Let do not let anything be sacrificed for work. Because trust me, I am a person who has chased success, and I have very successful friends around me. Uh, and I'm talking about people who are movers and shakers in the global startup like engine. And these people only have the same thing to tell me: the things that they have lost in that hunt for success. if you are hungry for success know the price that you might end up paying so just be a little empathetic and know that not everybody is chasing your success only you are doing it on your own so either you bring people on the same page or try your level best to explain it to them because trust me sometimes the top is a lonely place i don't know what the top is i haven't got there but i know people at the top and trust me it doesn't look like a lot of fun 
and nowadays they are in that in the catch up they're just trying to hold on to people right because the people that they have lost and then over time they realize you know something else could have made me happy i have a friend who's so successful like it's a very interesting story because i've never really actually tried to explore like human emotions because i've always felt like again it should be an organic approach like whatever your emotions are but she told me something that has still stuck with me she's like even though when i was uh, younger and i was making a lot less i think i was much more happier and i was like i don't believe that because i know the lifestyle you're living right now i see what your paycheck has done for you she's like yeah my paycheck has made people believe i'm happy end of story that's it well <laughs> and on that uh, enlightening note we have now come to the end of this interview thank you so much for being here nikhil it was great talking to you i hope you had fun Yeah, I have not actually had a lot of time to dissect my own mind and think about things from all these angles. Yeah, definitely. And it's always great talking to you, Sangeeta, to catch up. I know you're very busy. Pick up the call once in a while. I'll call you. <laughs> But you have to call uh, for me to pick up. I always call you my mind. I'm calling you from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Robert, thank you so much for being here. Hundred percent. Talk to you soon. Bye bye. So that was my conversation with Nikhil Menon. closing this episode with an article written and narrated by Nikhil i hope you enjoyed the show and i'll see you next week with a new guest and a new chronicle to share it's the season finale so be sure to tune in talk soon so this is an article that i wrote in uh, 2019 for thrive global and uh, the reason why i picked this particular uh, like a thought leadership article or rather guest post which i wrote for thrive global as a as a reference for today is because uh, i think it uh, perfectly summarizes the current conversation that's happening in the writing ecosystem which is the arrival of chat gpt and uh, the probable decline in writing jobs while a lot has been said i think this article might shed some light even though not directly connected might help people Uh, understand what technology has always meant for the human race so the article starts off like this what does covid-19 mean for the future of work the death of all traditional enterprises businesses of tomorrow need to start focusing on employees today despite it being a constant topic of debate between hr professionals across the globe the future of work conversation never ceases to end as the scope of work evolves constantly the finer points begin to follow suit hence It is important to understand the course of the debate's evolution. The term "future of work" might have started off initially as a need to embrace futuristic tools, but has inevitably transformed into a wake-up call for organizations regarding the employee experience. So, how did it all go down? Since time immemorial, the labor market has faced a continuous uphill battle, probably around the time Johannes Gutenberg invented the mechanical printing press. And how can we forget the historic 18th century era? when weavers and artisans were pushed the proverbial edge of poverty when the mechanized loom came into existence during world war 2 alan turing's bombay machine which was instrumental in decoding the nazi enigma code was able to decode millions of lines of encrypted message in hours thereby negating the need for thousands of analysts to crunch numbers over a span of weeks and months fearing the loss of livelihood the working class has always been predominantly apprehensive towards technology however As organizations began their transformative journey towards digital disruption, technology has managed to wade through public discomfort and arise as the tool for forging the future. 
even in the case of Alan Turing's machine, the underlying truth was that technology helped streetline, streamline the decoding process by using mathematics and technology, thereby increasing efficiency and reducing lag. Over the last two decades, global enterprises, Fortune 500s and small medium businesses have managed to adopt a slew of innovative solutions like artificial intelligence, machine learning, deep learning, blockchain technology and data analytics to help improve processes, functions and systems. Whilst AI and ML manage to reduce redundant tasks, beef up cybersecurity and encourage automation, data analytics blew the customer acquisition cost metric out of the water by helping companies leverage the power of the internet. By disrupting every possible industry, sector and vertical, technology established itself as a key business pillar for enterprise success. And soon enough, employees began utilizing these tools for quicker responses, timely support and an efficient working order. And all of a sudden, the need for skilled labor to operate these tools became a business criticality and the subsequent shortage of talent has resulted in a depleting bottom line. In a market survey report conducted in 2019, the banking and financial services industry, business services, telecom and media industries saw a cumulative shortage of over 14 million workers by the year, will actually see by the year 2030, though I think these numbers have changed right now. Therefore, to combat this shortage of skilled employees, enterprises all over the globe have begun looking inward for solutions on how to retain their existing workforce. And subsequently, the future of work debate entered its next phase, the employee experience. By empowering employees with increased ownership, relaxed working hours and career improvement, that is upskilling or reskilling, companies have spent heavily on constant innovation and research to help improve their overall EX, that is the employee experience. Businesses of tomorrow need to start focusing on employees today. However, the outbreak of COVID-19, the coronavirus disease, sent the world of business down the rabbit hole as it, as it has brought about an element from the debate that most organizations have shied away from, remote working. Even though the idea of remote work isn't relatively new, its magnitude has been negligible to say the least. Up until 2010, corporations have argued that they do not possess the infrastructure or bandwidth to support the whole work-from-home methodology. Yet, with the advent of better monitoring tools and improved con connectivity, that argument has been silenced. Companies rarely entertain the idea despite its proven benefits surrounding employee well-being and mental health. Remote teams only existed for operations that deemed it necessary with the rest of the workforce confined to an institution's four walls. With the contagious disease spreading rapidly, every single enterprise conglomerate and fortune finder has been forced to shift to a remote model of work for prolonged business continuity. Employees are now forced to sit at home and work in an attempt to slow down the spread of the disease. Companies that had given the idea fair thought were surprisingly ready to combat the onset of a mandatory remote working model. However, lesser prepared organizations have were sent scrambling for solutions to keep the lights on. In conclusion, the very crux of the debate constantly changes, mandating a requirement from enterprises to innovate and adapt. Archaic systems and practices are being ushered out of the door and more sustainable working models are becoming the regular norm. This is helping employees fo focus on other interactive practices, spend more time with family, balance work and leisure, and dissolve the exertion that accompanies long commutes. COVID-19 has truly become the death of a traditional enterprise.